The Bible Study Podcast, episode 131. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Luke with Luke chapter 18. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We ended Luke last week in the middle of chapter 18 at verse 30, so we're going to pick it up in verse 31. Jesus again predicts his death. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. One of the interesting things relative to the internal consistency of the message of the Bible are verses like this that are written by the disciples afterwards, clearly, where they say, we now understand what it was that Jesus said, but we didn't get it at the time. And one of the reasons I say that is, remember that this is either true or it's untrue. This either happened or it didn't happen, but certainly there were people at the time, and this is their story. And their story doesn't really bring particular honor to what they did. If this is something they're going to make up, I think they would have made for themselves a better part. What the disciples report is that they didn't get it. They really didn't get what Jesus was saying. Jesus is very clear in these verses that he will die and even what type of death he will have, the insulting, the spitting, the mocking, the flogging, and all of that. But it didn't make sense to the disciples at the time. It was only in retrospect that they went back and said, oh, he told us that. But it was so counterintuitive to their expectation that they couldn't understand him. And the chapter continues. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. One of the things that stands out in this story is the persistence of this man to connect to Jesus, that he knew that Jesus could do something for him. He had the faith that Jesus could heal him. And even though everyone told him to be quiet, he would not do so. And Jesus does heal him, and he follows. He understands the importance of Jesus, the central importance of Jesus in his life. And it seems to be a chance meeting. This man just hears the crowd going by and asks what's happening, and hears it's Jesus of Nazareth. But that chance meeting changes his life. Because he's not going to let this opportunity pass him by. Jesus is coming close to him, and it may not happen again, and this is the day, this is the time. And I think that there is an urgency and an insistence in that faith that we can learn from. We'll continue on in Luke chapter 19 with the story of Zacchaeus. 
Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So Zacchaeus like the beggar, hears that Jesus is passing by. And he is curious, but not quite in the same way, not with the same insistence. He just needs to see Jesus. He wants to get a glimpse of this person that everybody's talking about. He has no intention that he would meet Jesus, no intention that Jesus would change his life. That's Jesus' intention. He's just trying to see him. Climbs the tree, and it's Jesus who approaches him and says, Zacchaeus, I must come to you. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Jesus is the one who changes Zacchaeus' life. He's the one who decides that salvation is coming to this man's house today. And he doesn't do it by preaching. It's interesting. He doesn't tell Zacchaeus that he is a man who needs to repent. Now, he does. Zacchaeus, when he gives half his possessions to the poor, and if he's cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. In general, if he is rich, he is rich because he has. That is the way a tax collector works. He has bought the right to do this. He can collect extra taxes and keep that amount. And so he has some restorations to make. He doesn't even come right out and say it, but he does say, I will make clean. And he seems to say it when people start to mutter about Jesus. It's almost as if he changes to protect this person who has shown him kindness. We don't know exactly what his motivation is, but there is something that has changed because he's been around Jesus. And it's something that has changed because how Jesus has treated him. I think this is an interesting model for those of us who may be tempted, like the Pharisees were, to write people off. Jesus is not doing that in this situation. He is engaging with people. And people are attracted to him. People are attracted to the love and the care and the openness and the kindness that he shows. And it's that, then, that brings change. He's not preaching to them. He saves his preaching for the religious people which is interesting. Have you noticed that in the Gospels, that Jesus is harder often on those who are religious than on people like Zacchaeus, these sinners? He approaches them differently. And there's something that is attractive about him. So when the Bible says that the church is Jesus' hands and feet in the world today, when the Bible says that the church is Jesus' representatives in the world today, This is how Jesus engaged with the world. He changed it, but he changed it through the love that he showed it. 
We'll do one more story from this chapter because then there'll be a transition with the next section will be in the triumphal entry, the last week of Jesus' ministry. We'll come to that close to the end of the story, even though we have a number of chapters to go still. So the last story we have before that is the parable of the ten minutes. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your minna has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your minna has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your minna. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, and reaping what I did not sow. Why, then, didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his minna away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, this seems to be a particularly odd story, and one that is, I think, a little more difficult to interpret. So let's look at some things that are clear about it. First of all, why did Jesus tell it? Well, we're told, he told it because he was near Jerusalem, he's about to enter triumphantly on Palm Sunday, and people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once, and they were wrong. In fact, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, as we just learned, to suffer and die to rise, ascend, and then go away for a time period, but then come back. And so it would appear that, like the king in this story, or the nobleman who becomes king, that there's a time without the king, and then there's a time of reckoning at the end. And so Jesus, again, is going away, but will come back. So the kingdom of God is not starting immediately, as they're expecting. There's some other things going on. And there's going to be opposition to Jesus, as there is opposition to this king. And in the event, again, reckoning. And in terms of reckoning, the two different reckonings that happen in this are, one, clearly, the people who are in opposition, the people who are the enemies of this man becoming king, are dealt with. And they're dealt with severely. Then the people who are servants of this man, of this king, are dealt with in the order of their faithfulness. That what is rewarded here is what is done with what we have. Now, that is something that could be the word of the gospel, that is something that could be other things we are stewardships of, but what is rewarded here is what do we do with what we have been given by God. Are we trustworthy? Do we use the resources that God has given us for his work?
With that, we're going to bring this episode of the Bible Study Podcast to a close. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or connect with me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.